Hello from Adventurize this is Venturing Beyond 9 to 5. I'm Ritu and I'm Nilay. Thank you for tuning in to season 2 of our podcast. In this season we will be sharing with you our conversations with experienced freelancers across all domains. Hear directly from our guests about all the valuable lessons, tidbits and tricks they've picked up along the way. And join us as we dive deeper into the stories behind the thriving freelancing careers they've built. This to preface, Adventurize is a career development platform for freelancers. And if you'd like to talk with and learn from mentors and other freelancers, then uh, you can join our free community at theadventurize.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to stay updated. But today, I'm really, really excited to welcome Karthik Sridharan onto our podcast. Karthik is a co-founder of Flexible and Build.co. He's a big believer in bootstrapping startups, and he's actually grown Flexible completely self-funded up to $3 million in revenue. So this is amazing, and I'm really keen to learn more. But welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. Oh, my pleasure, Nimi. Thanks for having me here. It's um, really love it. Uh, look forward to this conversation. I think you've definitely had a pretty interesting career journey, right? So I'm curious to hear more about it. Sure, Rob. I am an engineering grad. I graduated from Bitspilani in 2012 and I did nothing in engineering after that, as most of the engineers do. We immediately shifted into investment banking. JP Morgan for about three years, a couple of years in India and Mumbai, <clears throat> and then one, one year at London as well. And it was there in London where I felt that it wasn't the journey for me. And it was a an industry that I wanted to work in. I just felt that I need to find something I'm a lot more motivated to do day in, day out and for the rest of my career. And so I came back to India and uh, felt that maybe an MBA school might give me some bit of time to explore what I wanted to do next. So that's what I did. I joined IMM the one in India. And as uh, you might know, the MBA school, typically the very first week is all, you know, they immediately start talking about internships, placements, CVs, and so on. And I felt that I just left that life behind me. Uh, it felt a little against what I wanted to do. So yeah, I quit the internship placement process and uh, felt that I could explore building something of my own. And that's that's when the journey of Flexible started. I I researched through a lot of different ideas. I had an idea book where I used to note different ideas and get my friends to critique it in my room. And the critique they did. And Flexible was one of the three ones which got the least amount of criticism. So it was also in the B2B industry. I wanted to work in that space versus the B2C industry where I felt building something would need huge amount of VC funding and a lot of rounds forever. So it really resonated with me in terms of what was happening in the startup ecosystem at the time, which was really booming. A lot of startups raising a huge amount of funding. So Flexible was in the space which would help them solve their talent problems which they were having in plenty. And instead of looking at the talent problem from trying to understand how we can help them find employees easier or you know in a better manner, I found that we could possibly look at it in, from the perspective of a different source of talent. Uh, specifically, tech is where I wanted to focus because I felt that tech hiring was a really big problem for startups. I also felt that early on, if we have to choose the categories, development and design would possibly be more amenable to freelancing to remote working. And that's what we started with. And while there were already marketplaces um, you know, that were around, we felt that 
ensuring that a quality intermediary can ensure quality at both the ends would solve some of these problems and it would possibly unlock talent who would have never considered freelancing and also unlock companies who would have never considered hiring freelancers as well. So that was the take and that's that's where Flexible Jambi began and it's been you know seven years since I first started but five years since we officially started after I so yeah it's been quite a journey. Yeah, definitely. That's really cool. And that's kind of one of the main reasons why Kartik is such an interesting guest, right? So far in the podcast, we've been really looking into the freelancer's perspective, but you work directly with the businesses and with clients. So um, looking at it from that perspective, I think it'll be very interesting. And I kind of want to know more about what problem you're trying to solve with Flexible, right? And you make hiring more tech talent really easy. So what kind of made you start the venture in this space and what exact problem statement are you trying to solve? So it was about making hiring freelance tech talent easy. And uh, obviously, I think as, as we've uh, been in this space over a period of time, that, that has sort of just broadened a bit and we want to make hiring talent easy. I think the problem that we set out with was that there were a lot of marketplaces in this industry and there are still a lot of them and they're really big in nature if you talk about freelancer and Upwork and so on. And I think even around the time that we were starting, there was a lot of uberization, so to speak, of various different models, right? Not necessarily in the freelance industry, but every industry was trying to see how they can make an unorganized sector organized by using the Uber kind of model of a marketplace. And our thought process to it was that it possibly works when the skill sets that are being offered on the marketplace are not nuanced or not too complex, right? So it works in the Uber space where it's driving and where the engagement between the companies and the talent is very short, right? It's just about half an hour, one hour drive. So in that case, an Uber model works. You have star ratings, you have reviews. All of those things are enough to ensure that there is a a fruitful engagement possible between the two parties. As the uh, skill set becomes more nuanced, more complex, more heterogeneous in nature, we felt that the Uber model doesn't necessarily work. We felt that you need an intermediary who can actually ensure the kind of quality uh, engagements that are going to happen through the particular network. And things like reviews, ratings, wouldn't be a fair judgment of the kind of the quality of the engagement that they could have. So you need a neutral party, third party, to actually have an absolute evaluation of both the parties. And then you can actually have a fruitful long-term engagement between the two counterparties. So that was the sort of premise that we started off with. And it's held to a large degree because I think the kind of companies that we work with currently and the kind of talent that are associated with us and are, are a part of our network don't use Upwork or any of those kind of marketplaces to sort of source their projects, so to say. Because even from a talent perspective, it's really painful, right? Like if you are on Upwork, you have to like bid on hundreds of projects, you know, and each time you don't know the quality of clients you're going to be interacting with, you're unsure about it. While Upwork does, you know, work on ensuring that there is a certain milestone-based payment that is getting released, etc., I think from a quality talent's perspective, a lot of time is just invested in getting the project rather than doing what they really love doing, right? Like for developers, you don't want them to be marketers marketing themselves as an upwork, right? And selling, you know, being a salesperson 
who gets projects for themselves. So that was the perspective from the freelancer side that we wanted to ensure that they work doing things that they really love doing. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. And you mentioned about helping clients with the shoplisting process and mm. matching them with the right freelancers. Can you actually talk a little bit about the vetting process? What do you look for when you shoplist freelancers? So I think there are a few different things, of course. We, we are human beings, so it's really tough to immediately parameterize people and do it. But yeah, we're in the hiring business, so we have to do it to a certain extent. So I think very broadly, it's two parts. One is the hard skills that they possess, right? Like if you're a developer, you need to actually know development. And now development itself is such a huge world, right? Like as a software developer, there's just so many technologies and the number of technologies just keep increasing every single day. So one is on the hard skill side of it. And the other side is the software aspects of it. Because I think... Versus a permanent employment, I think freelancers really, really need to nail the soft skills aspect of it, right? Because a lot of the times, of course, our world is becoming more and more remote now. And even permanent employees need to up their game on the softer aspects. But freelancers have been working remotely with clients. So being able to communicate what they're working on in a very streamlined fashion, being able to structure their thoughts, being reliable in... Uh, whatever they promise and actually living up to it. And these were like things that you would sort of take for granted, but are not necessarily things you should take for granted because what we have recognized over our last five years is that most of the times engagements fail not due to uh, mismatch in skill sets, but it fails in mismatch in terms of the culture and the expectations or like the communication breaking down between the two parties. So I think our entire process is aligned to get as much of information from our freelancers as possible on all of these metrics. So we start off with generally just getting them to talk about their own selves in a in a structured a fashion as possible. So we try to see if people are able to talk about their past work in, in a written format. And then we actually have a very quick call where we try to understand if they're also able to talk about it in a very structured fashion. Because a lot of it, which is being able to go on client meetings, communicate your work that you've done for the past few weeks, how well you do that, how well the other person is able to understand what you've done. So you should be able to dumb it down so that you're not being, you know, using too many jargons, but at the same time, able to quantify the impact that you personally are making. So these are all the kind of things that we try to understand. Then we have a very final, you know, tech, hard tech call with one of our set of interviewers. So they, they have a very in-depth discussion on any one of the past projects that our freelancers might have worked in. And then they have a, a live coding session where we give them a couple of problems to solve. Not so much to see if they're able to arrive at the correct answer, but you know more to see the thought process that they go with when they're trying to solve a problem. So it's about being able to break it down and you know find solutions to it and what their thought process to approaching an unstructured problem is. So that's the that's the entire process. Then we try to get a couple of references from their past clients to see whether it checks out. And then we try to build their resume ourselves. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And we've also, you know, as we've been reading about freelancing, we've like kind of 
been thinking about what does it actually mean to do a hard skill assessment, especially for something like when there is subjectivity involved, right? For example, if you do design, how do you kind of manage for that? Yeah, that's true. I think, for example, in uh, software development on the developer side, there is less of subjectivity, I would say. There is, and there are very thought processes that are very quantifiable. Of course, it's subject and even there. But overall, I think what you're looking for is people who know what they're talking about, right? And I would say that about any particular function. And the thesis is that if someone's actually worked in a particular space and they claim to have done certain amount of work, if you really deep dive into it, they should be really able to logically answer why they did what they did and what were some of the very specific challenges that they faced. How do they solve for it? And how do they interact with other people to get the right answers? And overall, the entire process of actually building something should be an experience that they're able to describe with great amount of detail and accuracy. It was more about the thought process and whether they're able to actually guide us to how they're thinking about the problem, right? And whether the problem is you know logically being broken down into smaller pieces and whether they're able to logically approach it or not, right? So... I think the same holds true for design. I think there's a lot of subjectivity in general about design and that keeps evolving. So I think the ability to learn, the ability to logically break down the past things that you have done and pick up new things and how you're able to discuss it, all of these aspects sort of reveal the kind of person you are, the kind of effort you put in to uh, sort of do things and learn things, etc. And of course, it helps to get some references, it shows whether you've actually lived up to what uh, they expected from you and what you promised to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We actually have a, a question from the participants. Hi, Karthik. I've been following you on Twitter for quite a while. I work as a content for an early stage startup, and I would love to know more about your thoughts on how you scaled marketing at Flexible and uh, why your threads are really valuable. I'd love to hear from you as well. Is there a concrete <laughs> marketing strategy that you recommend? Hey, Ganesh. So I think, so we were first, we are first-time founders. So we didn't know much about marketing. We didn't know much about anything about building startups, to be very honest with you. So it's been a lot of, you know, progress through hundreds of mistakes that we've made. And initially, the first year, it was no marketing. It was on sales, outreach, using our personal network, using LinkedIn. And that's where we realized that possibly some of our clientele in India are not only our right target audience. And we possibly need clients in the US, in the UK, et cetera, to you know, be our clients on the company side. So for that, we recognize that we need marketing. And we slowly started looking into platforms like Product Hunt, where we slowly launched a few of our products. And we kept launching them only to recognize that we hadn't diversified our marketing at all. And it was all dependent on Product Hunt. And as you would also recognize, Product Hunt can be really unreliable a lot of times, right? And uh, we recognize that as well. And again, we went back to the drawing board and we sort of looked at other channels. And it was SEO and Google Ads that we tried then. And Google Ads was a ultimate failure. <laughs> we sort of invested in it for six to eight months. We you know, burned through a lot of money. And we recognized that for us to be successful in that channel, we need to invest a lot of money and be able to compete at the same level some of our bigger competitors were doing. So we sort of shared that particular channel and we went into SEO full like full on. And it took us quite a bit of time. As you would know, SEO takes a lot of time and 
it was a bit of trust in the process that it would bring us some kind of success and it took about it took us about a year year and a half before we started seeing some kind of improvement our traffic at that time was about 4000 i think last month we finally hit 300000 visits or so so i think seo has been a big part of it a certain part of it also was as recognizing that as a bootstrap startup we don't get easy pr as much as vc funded startups get so we don't get featured in tech runs that easily right so we were also very social media averse people the three of us no none of us had social accounts whatsoever so at that point in time we recognized that we were doing a disservice to ourselves and we had to tell our story and we forced ourselves to get on linkedin and start being a little more active get on twitter telling our mistakes sharing a few successes celebrating our milestones and i think that sort of resonated with people i think they like bootstrap startups understanding that they possibly they underdog in the market and they want to root for them so founders just have to give them the reason and hold the right kind of story and, and that's also helped us and that's started generating a good number of leads for us as well so uh, apart from this it's been word of mouth uh, which i don't think you can plan for so when people tell me word of mouth is the best channel i think it's it's right i wouldn't disagree but it's not a channel that you can prepare for a lot you just have to ensure that you build a brand you do all the right kinds of things but then word of mouth just kicks in right and of course what we control a lot more is customer reference and repeat customers so we ensure that we optimize for success at all points at time rather than just optimize for our own internal metrics so that has meant that a lot of our customers have stayed through for a very long period of time and they hire more and more talent from us for long durations of time and they also make it up maybe like to switch it up what are the unrealistic expectations that freelancers may have like what what may they be getting wrong i think you know when when we talk about freelancing right like people think that it's it's the lifestyle super far away from a typical employee kind of lifestyle right that you know and there are so many photos and pictures shared on linkedin but maybe more on instagram which is all about working in you know with legs dipped in a pool with a pina colada next to you and you know you're chilling and working you know remotely out of i don't know some really scenic spot and so i think <laughs> it's a sort of sets very long expectations that that's the kind of lifestyle that you're going to have where you have such flexibility and that people are not uh, expecting any kind of reliability from you right and that's we try to you know set the right expectations in a process but also try to get people who have such expectations to say either you know get on board or possibly flexible is not the right platform for you right not to say that there aren't such engagements but most companies want reliability right so the fact that you're getting location flexibility is a part of it but at the same time you need to be super dependable when you say share a certain deadline it means to you need to share your output at around that deadline and it's all about being able to develop that kind of trust between the two individuals and that happens both ways so having the mindset that freelancing suddenly means that you're going to have a blast and money will come any which way is something that i've seen a lot of freelancers who possibly get rejected on flexible you know that's possibly one of the main reasons so not having the right kind of mindset or the right kind of expectation for freelancers mm-hmm. what about 
what do clients usually think about when it comes to pricing their services? Because I know that many early stage freelancers are convinced like when you start working to build your portfolio, you need to charge lower rates. And a lot of marketplaces that exist at the large ones really focus on this kind of competitive pricing, right? On the other hand, there's a lot of freelancers who've been who have many years of experience, they can show that they've worked for so many years and they can, you know, charge a really high margin according to that. And which, you know, may or may not reflect on their expertise. So what do you think the pricing of a service indicates for the clients? And yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I think. So it's again tough to homogenize the entire thing. I think it's very contextual to a large extent i think it varies by geography as well there are clients they have good super budget constraints and they're very budget sensitive and there are some who come to us and say that we have no budget constraints and it's all focused on quality right so but then they, as i said they have very unrealistic expectations on the specificity to which they want the kind of talent that they want right so it's an entire spectrum in that way but Talking specifically about the example that you gave where, you know, very early freelancers without much of a portfolio, should they work at lower rates? I'm not sure, right? There are a few different things. I think if you want to really work in the high quality segment of the freelancing market, and that's true about any particular market, right? Like it's an entire spectrum. So if from that perspective, I would say it would make sense to maybe even work in the traditional industry for a few years, right? Build your portfolio, not necessarily freelancing, but build certain kind of experience, maybe add a couple of brands along the way working in the industry, that would surely help. You know, it's it's nice to be a hipster and say, well, that doesn't, that, that doesn't matter, but it, it, we need to align with certain realities. And I'm just sort of highlighting some things that might help people find success in the freelancing world as well. I know my friends who graduated from BITS, who worked in really good companies, then freelanced, one very specific person, for example, now he works in Google and he's, he chose to work in Google because he realized that he had sort of hit a ceiling with the kind of clients he could possibly work with. So he wanted to add one extra brand to his resume before he gets back to the freelancing market. So I think that there are these kinds of approaches that one can take to build their portfolio in a certain way rather than just saying that, okay, I need to work for dirt cheap rates. right? And secondly, I think now more than ever, People like to work with, like, just sort of slightly contradicting what I just said. Apart from brands, I think people would want to work with those who are able to showcase that they have skill sets. Right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be on projects that you work for someone else. It can be projects, your own personal project, your own passion project, but you market it well. Right? So if you're a designer, show the kinds of, you know, things that you are building. Like one very popular example, I don't know if you guys have heard, have heard of him, is Pablo Stanley. So he does amazing work. He was part of InVision and now he has his own company that he builds, but he's been building so many side projects of his and uh, it's been so much of just passion projects that he builds on the side that I, I'm sure people would just love to work with him as a freelancer. And I could make the same case for developers. I could make the same case for writers. If you want to showcase that you're really good at a particular skill, you don't necessarily have to do that for some other client. You can actually make your own personal pet project and, you know, share that with the world, contribute to it regularly. It's your skill, so you're anyway passionate about it. So you might as well do it for free for yourself, 
and enjoy it and then showcase that is one of the amazing things that you have done and social networks as i spoke about for flexible and social media was an important way to drive our narrative i think freelancers need to consider themselves as a one person startup right and you need to market yourself and hold your own narrative in the market and as you are able to build your own personal brands in the market freelancing might not necessarily just be about all the kinds of clients that you have worked with but it might actually be with all the amazing work that you have done for yourself and why the people might want to associate with you personally i have hired a few people because i felt that they did some really amazing work on social media and i wanted to work with them i think the narratives are changing it's about whether we are able to hold on to them or not another thing that i'm curious about right we talked earlier about what clients look for in a freelancer and kind of curious about what they immediately put brakes on if they see in a portfolio or if they talk to the person or- i think it's largely it's got to do with the software aspects of course see, uh, everyone wants a fit in terms of hard skills at some level but a big you know question mark for them comes in when freelancers are super unreliable so for example you commit to something and you don't deliver on it right because this entire thing actually happens it's it's an entire trust equation right and it holds the trust equation is on both the sides right the moment the freelancer doesn't get paid at the time that they were promised it's a red flag for the freelancer as well right that i don't want to work with such a client and similarly for the client it's a big red flag if a freelancer commits to something and doesn't live up to it right and it, it could be something very small right it could be something like you know you work on a small assignment say during the screening process you say that i had given it to you by 6 pm on a certain day and you end up giving it at 10 or you end up not giving it at all and then i have to follow up and ask you or you commit to coming to a call you know a video call where we would possibly have the initial conversation and you don't turn up and then you say oh, oops i forgot about it i'm sorry right so these are like big red flags for people because in essence what people are doing in the screening process are trying to find proxies for how the engagement will be if they start working with that person so they have to magnify small instances and look at how that might play out in a regular engagement right so it's better not to give them reasons which which would look possibly out of context but they have to make you know, so i think client side would be total lack of reliability which is the biggest red flag that we've seen our clients sort of get really pissed off with. and it's it's a two way street right and the client needs to do their part the freelancer needs to do their part and we tell our clients as well right uh, at the end of the day if you want the freelancer to really invest into this relationship you have to also do that so you can't have a double standard in terms of the way you engage with you know talent within your team and the way you engage with your freelancer so treat them as a part of your team so that they think that you know you're a company that they would also want to grow right yeah i think uh, we're slowly coming to the end of the session so final question i'm curious about your thoughts on the future of freelancing in india specifically right so actually we were very positive about remote working itself and we actually that's why we started remote tools about plan and because remote plan failed as a startup for us but we were very positive about remote working and i think freelancing versus remote working is a very thin line you have the gig economy which typically was supposed to be the you know maybe the shorter duration projects that talent and companies associate themselves with but there is then the talent economy which is where flexible is trying to make its space which is long duration projects between uh, talent and companies right and 
we have had projects which which have gone on between the two for even a couple of years and that is much more than what even employees which you know stay at companies on a permanent basis so i think the line is very thin between freelancers the way that we are working and what how permanent employees work and when you start adding the remote working aspect to it it becomes actually very very blurred so i think of course what we were thinking was never that in 2020 there will be a pandemic and things will actually get accelerated to such an extent so the world has become a lot more remote now right than we could have ever imagined so remote working is definitely going to grow and talent is going to want to work remotely and companies worldwide are not going to want to be restrained uh in terms of hiring only from a very specific location and would want to depend to the talent pool across the globe which is already happening and so i think the future of freelancing is going to be very bright people's personal brands are going to be very important the way they are able to project themselves is going to be skills greater than you know just brands you know so pedigree and stuff like that so all your own narratives on social networks or you know showcase the work that you're doing work on your own passion projects and i think freelancing remote working is going to be really empowering for all of us yeah yeah for sure you already can see like more people hearing about the term freelancing itself right for sure mm-hmm. exactly i also want to ask you kartik if you have any announcements to share Oh, nothing as such. Uh, you know, I think very specifically, uh, if I have to, if I have to make one, we've just started Build.co. You mentioned Build.co is one of my companies, but it's it's an infant, right? Like it's been only three months. It's largely my passion project and our passion project. So after Flexible, this is one that we have indulged in. We see we really connect with entrepreneurs uh, and everyone in the startup ecosystem. so we just want to share all that all the things that we have learned along the way all the mistakes that we made and share some of our learnings etc so that's what build.co is about we want it to be the place where people learn how to build startups and i think people will really enjoy the content there we write a bit differently because we have a very different take on how startups are built so i think people might enjoy it so yeah maybe take a look at that <laughs> yeah definitely take a look at that thank you so much for joining kathik cheers the way cheers thanks a lot Hey, thanks for listening to Venturing Beyond 95 with Ritu and Nimi. We hope you found this episode interesting and enjoyable. Please follow us on Instagram at adventu.rise and on LinkedIn at adventurize. That's all for today. See you next time.